The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The rulers sneered at Jesus and said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the chosen one, the Christ of God. Even the soldiers jeered at him. As they approached to offer him wine, they called out, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above him, there was an inscription that read, This is the king of the Jews. Now one of the criminals hanging there reviled Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other, however, rebuking him, said in reply, Have you no fear of God? For you are subject to the same condemnation. And indeed, we have been condemned justly. For the sentence we received corresponds to our crimes. But this man has done nothing criminal. And then he said, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied to him, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. It is impossible to understand the feast we celebrate and the mystery it proclaims today without attending to the note of totality that runs through our prayers and our readings. The shorthand title of this feast day is Jesus Christ the King. But it's dangerous to stop there because the feast is about something broader than our own understanding of kingship. It is Jesus Christ, the king of the universe. And just pause for a moment and consider what that means. Because it means something more than saying he is Lord of all the earth. It means also he is Lord of the sun that shines in our sky. And it means that he is Lord of the distant reaches of the cosmos that our most advanced telescopes still cannot yet see. And that the Lordship of Jesus is not merely a Lordship over people, but of all things. Note how expansive that claim is. And note how our readings today insist on it, demand that we pay attention to it. St. Paul himself very directly and very powerfully speaks of all things, not all people, all things being made through Jesus, all things being sustained in Jesus and all things being renewed in Jesus. 
And our opening prayer for today's Mass is not just a request that our hearts might proclaim the glory of God, but likewise that all things may proclaim the glory of God. This is a remarkable statement. It shouldn't surprise us, given what we do believe about Jesus, that he is, in fact, the mighty word by whom all things are made, that he is that one who exists prior to the universe, but how easily we turn away from that and settle for a smaller, a lesser, dare I say, safer image of who the Lord is. And in doing so, we also settle for a smaller sense of just what salvation can be. And so on this day where we bring our cycle of Sundays for the present year to its close, we pause and we contemplate the glorious rule of Jesus, already victorious in heaven. A rule, however, that is not the product of any earthly reality, because it exists before all of those things. And that's the curious element to what we celebrate today, even in terms of the unfolding of our scriptures. On the one hand, we hear in our first reading something that happened about a thousand years before Jesus was born on earth. And that is the assembled tribes of Israel coming to David, recognizing that he was the one who time and time again led them out and saved them, stood with them and delivered them. And as the throne is vacant, they call to David, please be our king, for you are flesh and bone with us. What an interesting expression. You are flesh and bone with me. You are one of us. You are from us. You are of us. But you are of us in a way that protects us and defends us. Of us in a way that allows you to truly lead us and truly keep us safe and truly order us. And so standing before God, we ask you to be our king. And on the one hand, in the unfolding of the years of history, this happens a thousand years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And yet, it is a product of the lordship of Jesus. Because David's occupying the throne of Israel is at the service of preparing the way for the greater king, whose authority already ordered the universe at that moment, but who simply had not shown his face on earth. And it is he who is the Lord of history, who guides that moment that takes place a thousand years before he is born. And note all of a sudden that this moment of 12 tribes coming to a leader and saying, be our king, in a tiny corner of the world has a note of ultimacy about it because it is ordered to that greater one whose kingship is broader than Israel, 
whose kingship is not reducible to a mere nation of flesh and blood, but whose kingship and whose authority extends well beyond the borders of that small nation and that small land. How absolutely remarkable. And so it is then, so it is then that we turn to our gospel reading and we see the Lord enthroned on his cross. And let me repeat that statement. We see the Lord enthroned on his cross. In fact, in the Christian tradition, the original images of Jesus on the cross did not look like our familiar modern crucifixes that show the Lord crowned with thorns and suffering. That is not the image, the original image of the crucifix. The original image of Jesus on the cross is like the tiny cross that's mounted on the wall in the back of our church right by the confessional. And so after Mass, as you're leaving, you can take a moment and glance at it. And it's a remarkable little image that shows the Lord not naked on his cross, not crowned with thorns, not dead, not suffering, but crowned with gold, a king's crown, an emperor's crown. And he's clothed in the rich and regal garments of a ruler. This is the king, just as the placard placed on his cross said. And the early church, in putting forth an image of Jesus on the cross, put forth the image of the Lord whose rule is established on the cross, whose throne is the cross, and who from the cross gathers the world to himself, because it is through that cross by which he wins and claims his victory. Because just as our second reading said, unlike Israel of old that turned to David as if it was their choice and said, you be our king, the real reality is something different, something that goes beyond any choice we make. And it's the fact that in Jesus, God takes us who are in darkness and brings us into light. And it doesn't mention anything about consulting us. Note how marvelous that is. And this is the moment where that happens. The lordship of Christ reaching even into the darkness of misery and death and the grave to shepherd his people out of that, to light, to happiness, and to life. To free them from the grasp of the kingdom of the dead that they might be born anew into the kingdom of the truly alive. And in presenting the crucifix this way originally, the early church was making a very bold statement. And it was making a statement to Rome and its emperors and to the rulers of the other kingdoms that competed with Rome for supremacy at a time where the leaders of nations often claimed to be gods themselves and often held and to trumpeted their own authority over the life and the death of their subjects. 
and who made the ability to live well conditioned to the, to the willingness of the people to bend and submit to their decrees. The persecuted church put forth something different. And in the face of Caesar, it said, oh, you're not the real king. You're not the real ruler. Your rule extends as far as your legions can enforce it, and as far as the ability of you to either bribe or intimidate those who are beneath you. You are not the ruler. There is another king, a greater king than you, the one king and the only king who truly is divine. And if you would find him at his throne, then look no further than to the cross, because that is where he has placed his throne. That is where he has taken his throne. And from there, from the victory of his cross, he will reach from one end of the world and even one end of the universe to the other and order all things to himself. Because all things, even until this moment, have already been ordered to him. And this is what we celebrate. Even before Jesus is born in Bethlehem, even before he dies and rises, all things have already been ordered by him. All things are already ordered to him. Whether the world recognizes or not doesn't matter. They have been. He's not the Lord of everything that happened after he died. He's the Lord of everything, before and after. From the very beginning to the very end. When we celebrate this, we recognize he is the Lord of the world from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. And he is the Lord of the extent of the universe from one end to the other. And nothing and no one is excluded from his authority. What a powerful statement that is. And that original image of Jesus on the cross and why and how it was used by Christians. And so that we're clear, the images that focus more on the sufferings of Jesus came a few hundred years later. We, who grew up with hundreds of years of that image, assume it had to be the first one because we don't think in terms of thousands of years, even though we're used to saying we're 2,000 years old as a church. So it is important just to recognize that what we think may be old or original or traditional often is not as old or original or traditional as something else, which maybe we may have forgotten. Maybe we might have overlooked or set aside. But it was looking back into this original image of Jesus the King who rules from his cross that prompted the Holy Father in the early 1900s as he looked out at the world and how it was moving to insert this feast on the calendar. And the Feast of the Kingship, a day dedicated to the kingship of Jesus, is in a sense a modern novelty. It's only about 150 years old. 
And so again, that sounds really old to us, but in the history of the church, that's pretty recent. That's pretty new. And what provoked the Holy Father to do this was a rise of militant nationalism around the world, in Europe, but in other places, where nations and their rulers, whether they were kings or whether they were presidents, it didn't matter, were militarizing and emphasizing their national identity in a way that first claimed a total control over the lives of their people and set them at war and opposition with one another. Because looking out for my interests nationally often meant destroying your interests nationally. And all things then began to be subverted to patriotism in its various forms, nationalism in its various forms, where the lordship and the duty to country, good as that is, was being given a dangerous ultimacy that was demanding that even the gospel submit. And looking out at that and seeing where this was going and the wars that tore the world apart over the last century are an indication of the dangerous power of this. The Holy Father said it is important for the people of God to pause and to pray and to submit themselves first and foremost to the lordship of the true king and re-gauge and re-embrace their loyalty to the true kingdom which rules over all others. Not that earthly loyalties are bad but that none of them can be ultimate. And in doing so, he also said that this becomes the day then when we as a people, recognizing that Jesus is Lord of all nations, Lord of all cultures, Lord of all people, and in fact, Lord of all of that in the universe which is not, which goes beyond people. When we recognize that, then we also need to pray with great fervor for the unity of all people in this kingdom of Jesus, for the ability of all of those who are following false shepherds who cannot lead them to streams of true water, for all of those who are following those blind guides who lead them over treacherous pathways to hear the voice of the true shepherd and be gathered by him into the household of that one who is truly and rightly named Father. What a powerful insight that was. And in fact, Pius, the Pope Pius XI instituted on this feast of Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, an act that he prayed first in the 1920s as the world is teetering between two war, two world wars, as the world is standing in the false prosperity that's about to come crashing down into the, into the Great Depression, as the world is recovering from a pandemic of flu that killed millions, actually more people died by the flu than died in World War I. As all of this was going on, looking out into that reality, the Holy Father 
on the Feast of Christ the King, that day where we celebrate and recognize the Lordship of Jesus over all things and all times, consecrated the entire human race to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. It was a remarkable, remarkable moment and a remarkable prayer. But what many don't realize is he left an order when he did that, which was that every year on this feast day, that should be renewed, that should be done again. And not simply by the Holy Father, but it should be done around the world in all the churches of the world. It's a remarkable, remarkable insistence that on this day, there is a renewal of our belonging, not simply as Catholics, to the reign of Jesus Christ, but that all men truly do belong under the reign of Jesus Christ. And that we must pray for that moment, not when that reign is established because it already exists, but rather for the gathering, for all of those who wander outside of it be received into the fullness of light and life that is only found in and through the Lord Jesus. And note that insistence it is not enough for the church to preach to the world if the church prays not for the world. It is not enough for the church to tell others, you must submit to the rule of Jesus if the faithful themselves don't first give themselves to that reign of Jesus. It's a remarkably beautiful insight. And in fact, we'll conclude our universal prayer today by praying that act of consecration that goes back to Pope Pius XI carrying on his command to continue that prayer on this day as we pause and honor the Lord. But before we do that, before we do that, it's important to attend to something else. The Lord on his cross with a placard that names him king is we see in our gospel reading a king who is mocked a king who is laughed at, a king whose throne is rejected, the soldiers, the Pharisees, the priests, and even those who are nailed to similar crosses look at him with derision, laughing at him, and calling out thinking, salvation is merely a matter of rescuing me from what hurts. And that salvation and the power to save is first emphasized by the ability to keep himself safe because that's how the world works. Earthly kings work to protect their own interest and then maybe they'll get around to the interest of their people. This is a different kind of king because his interest is laying his life down for his people. Note the difference. This is a king where that placard that says this is the king of the Jews is not simply saying he's the real descendant of David. It is saying if you want to know what a king is, oh, look no further. This is a king. This is the one who lays his life down for his sheep. This is the one who suffers and endures all of this, even though he doesn't have to even though he is innocent for those who are guilty and for those who deserve it. This is a king, not a king quick to condemn, 
but a king who will die even to save an enemy. This is a king. This is a king. How different, how different from how this world works. And so it is that we see at this moment of looking at him who is a king, two men hanging on crosses who look at him. And one sees a king and the other doesn't. And so the one laughs at him and says, if you're really the king, get yourself out of here and take me with you because this hurts. It's an understandable and natural reaction, except tragically, Jesus is unlocking the gate of heaven right now, at that moment, next to that guy. And Jesus is suffering and dying in the same place at the same time as that guy. Only two men in all of history ever experienced this. At the moment they die, at the same time, the same place, the same way, the Savior is giving his life and unlocking heaven. And one of them misses it. He simply can't see. And so he rejects it. He laughs at it. He finds it foolish. And tragically, with his last breaths, he falls away. Because he dies as he lived, privileging a false sense of power and dignity and authority that in the end doesn't save anyone. And then there's the other guy who turns to his friend and says, oh, shut up. Shut up. Can't you see? And know what he says. We're suffering the same thing. Know what he's saying. He is bone and flesh of ours. He's one of us. In a way that David never could have been. Not just another human being flesh and bone with us, dying the same way, suffering the same thing, and he doesn't have to. We do. He doesn't. And he's made himself one with us in that way. He turns to Jesus and he asks for only one thing. Remember me. Don't you forget me when you come into your kingdom. Because he looks at Jesus on the cross and he says, this is the king. This is indeed the king. I've found the king. I know the king. And when he says those words, remember me, he is saying two very important things. He's saying that the kingship of Jesus extends beyond the grave and is truly a kingdom of life. And that the kingship of Jesus is truly divine. And he's also asking to go there. Because when you're in your kingdom, O oh Lord, if you remember me, that's where I will be. In scripture, 
The truly dead are those whom God forgets. And the truly alive are those whom he never forgets, whom he remembers. What a remarkable statement, because he also says, you are the one king who doesn't forget his people. You are the one king who doesn't forget any of his subjects. You remember each one of us. You value each one of us. And you know us all. You come forward in a couple minutes to receive him. That small disc of bread that we call the body of Christ and which is the presence of Jesus, the true king. That's who you stretch your hand out to. And note how beautiful this is. Because why do we do this? Not simply because we remember Jesus, but because he will not forget us. And you stretch out your hands to the one who remembers you so thoroughly, he comes off of this altar for you and to you. This indeed, this indeed is a king. And so when you hear those words, behold the Lamb of God, say in your heart, indeed, this, this is a king. Amen.